As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Michael David McKernan. I'm a filmmaker and actor from County Meath. Like a lot of actors, one of my first experiences of theatre was through studying Shakespeare at school. To be or not to be, that is the question. My leading search Shakespeare play in 2012 was Hamlet. To sleep a chance to dream, and there's the rub. And I remember going to see a production with my class at the Helix in 2011 to prepare us for our studies. Fast forward 12 years, and I'm now sitting in County Clare, speaking with fellow Irish actor Connor Madden. Oh, thank you very much, sir. <laughs> How do you, um, what's that thing? How do you know if somebody went to Trinity? <laughs> right. When Connor was at school, he also studied Hamlet for his leaving cert play. And I hated it. Absolutely couldn't stand it. Like the most boring play I'd ever read. Just like couldn't understand it, whatever. For a, I mean, a long time to, into college and stuff, I was still going like, Shakespeare, what's, what's going on with this guy? Like, just found it really uninspiring or something. Um, and then a friend of mine basically taught me how to speak Shakespeare, how to understand what was going on. A door opened. I realized the reason that Shakespeare is still performed, basically. Connor lives in a peaceful part of the countryside in Clare, with his wife Zara, their toddler, and dogs Coco and Buster. The story I want to tell you about relates to something that happened when Connor was playing the role of Hamlet. He was 24, and I was still in school, studying for my Leaving Cert. The production of Hamlet that I saw was produced specifically for Leaving Cert students. As it turns out, That was the production Connor had been cast in. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we were told tonight's performance, the actor playing Hamlet will have a script in hand. Oh, no way. And uh, and then the show, it might have been an usher, could have been a stage manager or whatever. But I remember that very clearly. And then, you know, the lights went down and the, the show began. And the actor playing Hamlet had a script. Wow. 
When I saw this production of Hamlet at the Helix, Connor should have been on stage. But he wasn't. Because a few weeks prior to that, his life had changed completely. I can remember what it's like to ski and to ride a bike downhill really fast. I can remember all those things, but it doesn't feel like me that did them. You become, like, basically instantly a different person. It's a story that I ended up hearing about when I started working as an actor in Dublin. And I couldn't believe had happened. It took a long time. I mean, we're just, after ten, after ten years, basically only now would I be able to give this interview. To say it's every actor's worst nightmare would be to say that it's something actors actually fear. But it's not. Because it's unimaginable. A friend of mine said, like, you know, actors say playing Hamlet changed their life. Like, it actually changed your life. Like, it literally physically changed your life. So, like, this thing did... This thing hurt, you know, hurt me. And it's all because of what happens in Act 5, Scene 2, of Shakespeare's most famous play, Hamlet. Give them the foils, young Roderick. Doesn't Hamlet, you know the wager. Very well, my lord. Your grace hath laid the odds of the week aside. Acting was something that Connor was always going to pursue. It was obvious from a young age that he had the talent to be on stage. In secondary school, did a musical called Oliver. So when I was in first year, I was the Artful Dodger, and I was I was so bad, but like fell in like completely, like understood it, like oh, actually, I really liked this. Connor went on to study acting at Trinity College Dublin, and quickly became an actor to keep an eye on. After his graduation showcase, he was signed by talent agency Lisa Richards, who also represented Killian Murphy and Pierce Brosnan at the time. Before playing Hamlet, Connor was cast in an alternative, experimental version of the play, called The Rehearsal, Playing the Dane. I was 23, and in the play, three actors auditioned to play Hamlet, and then the audience at the interval pick who they want to play Hamlet. So I used to run, I was a sprinter growing up, and... Um, I kind of had access to, like, this physicality that was very unusual at the time in Dublin. So I jumped up on the table and jumped over actors, and, like, it was great. It was really funny and really light. And you don't have to be modest now, but <laughs> how how often... What was the percentage of times that you were cast by the audience as Hamlet? I was cast a lot. <laughs> in 2010... Connor was a young, up-and-coming actor on the precipice of great things. His talent and passion was obvious to all around him, including Dublin actor Angus Og McAnally. In terms of the elements that you want in a great actor, there's obviously a huge amount of talent. There's a charisma there which kind of can't be taught or bought. There is a, a very strong collaborative spirit there in terms of it's not about make me look good, it's like, let's make the show as good as it can be, which is something that I would hugely value. So you throw all those things together, you know, a strong look, a hard worker, a huge amount of talent, a natural charisma, a very sharp intellect, a good team player and someone who's just fun to be around. I mean, I don't know, how many more boxes do you need to tick? Absolutely one of the standout talents of, of that group. You're just going to go, there's someone to keep an eye on. And also just gorgeous as well. I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but he's like just a really handsome dude. If you were in a lab genetically creating someone from scratch to be, you know, 
a, a great actor or a potentially very successful actor, there's every chance you'd end up with Conor Madden. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it is what it is, lads. In 2011, Conor went from playing the part of someone auditioning to be Hamlet to actually getting the part of Hamlet in a major production that would tour nationally. I was asked to go to this audition and I was just so confident. I would, had learned how to speak Shakespeare and like I was 23 going on 24. So I like looked like a, and I, was, I had blonde hair, like I was playing Hamlet. I was like the smart choice, you know. Uh, that's from my point of view, my point of view, you know. Cast alongside Connor in the role of Laertes, Hamlet's would-be nemesis, was Connor's friend Angus Oag. I remember day one and I remember the read-through. He hit the deck running, man, day one, and ready to bring it. He came ready to rock. Uh, he, he, was, he was bringing his A game from day one, which is brilliantly invigorating. You know, you're going, okay, like, I'm gonna, that's, that's what you want in a, in a dance partner or a sparring partner. Like, you know, you're going, okay, we're all going to bring each other on here. Yeah, like a, a lovely, strong cast, sound heads, uh, a very fun room to be in. Angus is all about teamwork. He does this amazing thing as well. Every Friday or something, he brings in food, like cheeses and stuff and some grapes. And he's like, all right, everybody, let's have a toast to... We are doing what we want to do, the best job in the world. We are so lucky. We're one of the few people who are, like, actually living their dream. Like, remember this. Remember how lucky you are. Like, that's an amazing thing to do. And he's absolutely right as well. Hamlet and Laertes are adversaries and rivals in the play, both seeking revenge for the deaths of their respective fathers. One of the most famous scenes in the play is its last, in Act 5, Scene 2, when Laertes and Hamlet square off for a duel. So Hamlet and Laertes uh, tangle during the show because Hamlet is in an on-again, off-again relationship with Ophelia, who's Laertes' sister. There's basically a showdown, there's a sword fight, and in the scene, a guy, a guy has come to Hamlet and said, uh, listen, do you want to fight Laertes? But my lord, his majesty bade me signify to you that he has laid a great wager on your head. Sir, this is the matter. I beseech you remember. Laertes' sister, Ophelia, was Hamlet's girlfriend, and she died, and Laertes blames Hamlet for her. She... It's dubious, but it seems like she committed suicide. To a muddy death. Alas, then she is drowned. 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 And Laertes blames Hamlet for it, and he might be right. Too much of water hast thou, poor Ophelia. And therefore, I forbid my tears, but yet... So someone comes to Hamlet and says, look, Laertes would like to fight for your honour. He'd like to fight you for out of honour's sake. What's his weapon? Rapier and dagger. That's two of his weapons, but well. <laughs> the um, Horatio, uh, Hamlet's friend, says, oh, don't fight him. He's really good at fighting. You will lose this wager, my lord. I do not think so. Since he went into France, I've been in continual practice. I shall win at the odds. And Hamlet says, no, don't worry about it. I've been practising, you know. I've been, don't worry, I'm really good at fighting now too. So, well, let's go have a fight. And will this brother's wager frankly play? Give us the foils, come on! Come on, one for me! There are multiple fights in the show. The big one, the showpiece one, is this fencing match at the end where there are ulterior motives going on and the, the sword has been poisoned because they're not looking to have a fair fight, they're looking to very badly hurt someone. Oh, this is too heavy. Let me see another. 
This likes me well enough. These foils have all the length. And they are real swords. And that's the scary thing. They're solid steel rapiers, basically, no flex. Um, their swords are thrusting, they're blunted, they're not sharp, but they're solid steel. They're hard, you don't want to get hit by them. With stage combat like that, you want it to look impressive while being incredibly safe. At the time he wrote his plays, Shakespeare's duels needed to be ferocious. Something to get the audience riled up. It was entertainment, that's exactly what it was, and it was competing with bear baiting, dog fighting, boxing, drinking, carousing, whatever. Like... It had to be like vibrant, it had to be vital, because if it wasn't, it wouldn't survive. It's hugely choreographed. You would treat it as fight choreography, and that is drilled and drilled and drilled in the rehearsal room. We got started on the fights early in the rehearsal process because myself and Connor knew each other. We knew he was going to bring a very physical performance to the role. And so I was, I was in, in good shape and kind of like fighting fit, if you like. So we both knew that we could bring a physicality to the violence that would be very exciting uh, and kind of building a physical language around violence through the show from very early on. But after the rehearsal process and once the show moved into the theatre... Angus became worried. The show was, was well received. We were enjoying doing it. The schedule was tough. It's pretty grueling. But from very early on in the process, there were issues with safety. In stage combat, actors try to make the performance energetic and realistic, but conducted in a safe and controlled manner. One of the ways they do this is by having fight calls essentially a walkthrough of every element of the fight. There are very strict rules around fight calls before every single performance. Tech rehearsal is where you go through all the, the moves, basically, that you have to do during the show. Tech rehearsals and fight calls are especially important if a show is touring to a new theatre, because, of course, all stages are different. So you go through all the lights, all the lighting cues, all the sound cues, all the movement cues to make sure everyone knows what they're doing, basically. From early on, there was no provision for a fight call. And I had to fight to get that instituted, which is insane. Following its well-received initial run at the Helix, the production begins a national tour. Its first venue is the Everyman Palace Theatre in Cork. I'd like to welcome you aboard this OE under our service to Cork. Um, all right, I've just arrived at Cork Kent train station. Gonna make my way down to the Everyman Palace Theatre now. Okay, I'm standing outside the Everyman Palace Theatre now. Very old looking building on the outside. Hiya. Hiya. Robbie. How are you? I'm well, how are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. How are you getting on? Hello there, how are you doing? I'm well, thanks. Welcome to the Everyman. I've come to meet box office and building manager Robbie Cotter to see how different the Everyman is to the Helix, where hundreds of students would have been attending to see this performance of Hamlet. A lot of people's first experience of the theatre is like being taken by their school to go and see the Leaving Cert Hamlet yeah, show. Mine was Hamlet, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You studied Hamlet? Yeah, no, I studied Leaving Cert in Hamlet was the play. Yeah, 650 Ham- seats. It's big, like, you know. So how many's on the floor and how many? 350 and 300 above. 300 above? Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, it's an absolutely gorgeous theatre. You know how ornate it sort of looks? The auditorium has that old look and feel about it. Yeah, is it Victorian? I'm trying to like... Victorian, so 130 years old. Sister Theatre, the Olympia Dublin. Yeah, the stage doesn't look massive. That's a sticking point in this story. It does feel quite modest. I'm trying to cast my mind and my memory back to when I saw it in the Helix. I think that's a, I think that's a noticeably bigger stage than this one. With 650 seats and a smaller stage, the Everyman was a much tighter space than the cast had been working on up until now. I had travelled down the night before and we already knew that there was insufficient time to tech the show, to, to work through the kind of technical rehearsal of it in a new space. From recollection, I think the Everyman stage is three metres narrower than the Helix stage, which is a significant shift in terms of blocking or stage choreography or where people can stand and still be seen. And very obviously, if you're swinging, you know, three foot long swords at each other, having three metres less playing space to have other actors in the scene stand at a safe remove, that becomes an issue. I got down Monday morning, the tech was at 12, we ran out of time, so we didn't have time to take the fight scene uh, at the end of the show, which is like, you know, it is what it is, but like I was 24, I didn't really know any better. Connor recalls that Angus was really annoyed about the situation. He was like, come on, like, it's ridiculous. Leave the kids on the bus for an extra 20 minutes, like, just take the fight. And he, anyway, he'd, like, he had done a lot of work with equity and he was going to write a letter of complaint and just said how dangerous it was and all this stuff. We didn't take the show fully. We kind of got halfway through, maybe three quarters of the way through, and ran out of time because we had allowed two hours to take a two and a half hour show, which is, you know, it's just bonkers, absolutely bonkers. The show begins without Angus and Connor having done a fight call. The theatre is packed, and Connor is giving a typically full bodied, intense performance. Before going out for that big fight scene, I turned to some of the other people in the cast and I said, I don't know what's about to happen out here. Just stay well back. So I don't know what's about to go down. And they did. Everyone pushed right back. Because while the footprint of the set was the same, the stage itself was much smaller. So I guess, like, the way we emotionally understood the space was that it was tighter so the act, we naturally gravitated towards each other which well I don't know the what ifs are the what ifs here's to thy health give him the cup upon reaching the climax of the play act five scene two I'll play this bout first did it my well that unimaginable event I spoke about earlier happens unfortunately the move that actually made contact was a move where it was supposed to be quite a powerful thrust that kind of bypassed him, that kind of where my momentum would take me past him. It's a big movement with a lot of kind of momentum behind it. In that fight scene at the end of Act Five, Angus as Laertes lunges forward sword in hand, and thrusts towards Hamlet's face. Nothing, neither way. Oh, 
I remember the swords coming together and looking down my sword at the other sword sliding up along my sword towards my eye. I know what that move is supposed to feel like and very clearly it's not supposed to meet any resistance. So when it did, I instantly knew that something was off and wrong. If you have me coming at you at, at full pace, that's a, there's a, there is a significant degree of force uh, coming behind it. And um, yeah, I, ideally it doesn't end with a, a sword meeting someone's face. In that moment, the sword rises up and hits Connor violently in the face, around his left eye socket, just below his eye. It all happened so quickly, you know. So it hit me and like I kind of chucked my head right back and I started to fall. I remember thinking like, uh-oh, you know, this isn't right. Something has gone wrong. But this, uh, that's, this is as I'm falling. Like, it's very morbid, but I, this is genuinely what I thought, that I realised that the moment that you die is the moment is you, you're alone. It doesn't really matter if your family are around you or whoever around you, that, like, final moment between life and death, that, like, final breath that you have to take by yourself. Nobody can do it for you or with you, that you have to do it by yourself. And then I hit the ground. There was no two ways about, like, something bad has happened here. Like In front of him, Angus saw his counterpart fall to the floor and he knew it was all wrong. Kind of nothing in the world was more important to me than theatre. And I was born into this theatrical family, third generation actor, and that thing of professionalism and the show must go on deeply, deeply ingrained into the fibre of my being. And the second Connor hit the deck, I dropped the sword, dropped my knees to get down to him, dropped character. There was no question in my mind that anything mattered other than him and that he was okay. I saw Lingus, I saw him because he was closest to me and um, yeah, he just like dropped through to his knees and you know, I wasn't, I'm not sure if he was saying sorry or what but like when it happened, I, the first thing I thought was like, it's not your fault. This is like a procedural error that, sh- that neither of us are responsible for and I remember saying to him like, this is not your fault and still 100%, it is not his fault, you know. The sword only left a small cut below Connor's eye. So at first, no one assumed the injury was serious. It wasn't particularly bloody, but it was very clear to me that he was hurt and hurt badly. The audience thought it was part of the action. Of course it was. We were out there in a fight, being two very good physical actors, making it look like we wanted to kill each other. They bought it as part of the action. So there was no reaction. The audience just waiting for me to get up, but I'm like rolling around, like moaning. Now you've probably heard of the phrase that Angus mentioned, the show must go on. But in this instance, it didn't. Someone walked down stage and said, this isn't actually part of the show, so uh, we're going to have to stop. And the curtain came down, fire curtain was dropped, and uh, the audience clapped. And an ambulance was called. Like, all good theatre. You know? <laughs> Members of the, of the team kind of came out to check on him. But it was uh, terrifying. Really terrifying. I remember just staying, kneeling over him, holding his hand until the paramedics arrived. <laughs> like in, a, in, an old, in an old school theatre way, someone arrived and put a glass of whiskey in my hand. So, okay, I mean, I, I, get the, I get the intention there, but maybe 
uh, maybe not the right moment. Um, and I remember that as they as they were taking him out on the on the stretcher to the ambulance, I just told him I loved him because uh, I do. I uh, went into hospital. I did not want to be there. I wanted to get out. I had a job to do. As far as I knew, I would be fine the next day. Like, and th- all the trauma doctors thought the same thing. They were like, "Look, you're in shock. It's like a big deal. You're you had a lot of adrenaline when this happened. You need a night's rest." The next day, newspapers reported the story both here in Ireland and worldwide. The headlines were full of puns. Hamlet's sword fight in every man, a cut above the rest. Standin makes a fine stab at playing Hamlet. The show must go on, despite Hamlet's injury. At this stage, it seemed like Connor's injury wasn't serious. Hence the light-hearted headlines. The director of the theatre company was quoted, saying... It was just one of those things and these things happen. It was totally accidental. This is a complex fight. He said that the scene was... Carefully choreographed. And that the actors... Have been doing it day in, day out for the last two months between rehearsals and live shows. But it just took one little thing for this to happen. One newspaper reported that Connor had received a few stitches and would be back on stage the following night. Connor also thought this. But, unfortunately, it wasn't going to be that simple. I wasn't thinking anything. Like, it's so so strange. Like, because you've no pain... There's no nerves in your brain. Whereas if your arm is bleeding, you're like, oh my God, my arm is bleeding. I went back to the hotel room and uh, basically the injury got worse. I was like not able to walk. My parents stayed with me that night and I'm like stumbling around trying to get to the bathroom, vomiting loads. And my aunt is a nurse. And so they rang her and asked her like, what What do you think? Is? And she was like aghast. She was like, you need to go back to the hospital because like something is not right. So um, back to the hospital the next day. At first, the doctors were looking at Connor's eye to examine the injury. But it was the MRI that showed up a much deeper injury to an area of his midbrain. When they did the MRI, basically it looks like a small bullet track along like the, the bottom of my kind of midbrain. It looks like basically it's the same width as the rapier. So they were saying, that one of the theories, because they don't know what happened, one of the theories is that the rapier stopped at my um, eye socket, my orbital bone, and but the energy contained within the rapier didn't stop there. It travelled through, you know, like a Newton's cradle or whatever. It travelled through and that's what did the damage. And it got it got worse before it got better. You know, I, I think on the Wednesday I got the diagnosis and then over that week I kind of totally wasn't able to talk, wasn't able to feed myself, wasn't able to walk. It got, yeah, it, was, it got very dark, you know. And while Connor struggled to contemplate what was happening... Angus was also finding it difficult to process. In the immediate aftermath, it was playing on a loop in my head, really, like really intrusively, uh, like, a, like a video feed of it. It was just, it was, it was hugely traumatic. Certainly, I wasn't massively enthused at having my name attached to it because, hey, look, who was the dude on the other end of the sword that put Connor in hospital? Only me. And I think for most people, you would interpret that in one very clear way and it's not the way of that's the dude who for weeks previously has been saying this isn't safe please don't make us do this so that's not easy to have to have uh, go on hell of a lot easier than any of an ICU though so you know I'm not going to complain hugely about that In the days after the accident 
Connor's condition deteriorated and he would slowly realise the enormity of his injury. His recovery wouldn't just take a few days and he wouldn't be back on stage as Hamlet anytime soon. I remember a doctor saying, you'll definitely recover, but we don't know to what level you'll recover to, so we don't know if you'll walk again, we don't know if you'll talk again. So I had speech therapy, um, physio and occupational therapy every day for a month. A friend of mine rang and was like, I'm hearing all these mad, like, are you all right? He was like, okay, man, I have to go. But what he said to me, has said to me since is like, you, you, I couldn't understand it. It was like you were drunk, like like ossified drunk. I had no idea what you were talking about. Like he, he didn't say that to me at the time, thank God. Like, but that's what it was like, you know. I had a terrible slur and wasn't able to balance. All I could think was like, who's going to hire an actor who can't work or talk? The production continued its run. And I saw it when I returned to the Helix, where I should have seen Connor on stage. But that night in Cork, the curtain came down on one phase in Connor's life, and a new chapter began. I was hospitalised for a month. So the show went on, they went to a few different places, and it was over, I think, before I got out of hospital. It took Connor months to relearn how to walk and speak again. At the same time that Connor was in hospital, Angus was struggling to carry on performing as normal. The rest of the run was like bizarro land. That idea of putting on the same clothes to say the same words to trick your body into I want to really go out and hurt this guy Hamlet now wasn't particularly easy or fun to do. Myself and Connor were signed to the same agent so I was talking to Jonathan Shanky at Lisa Richards quite a bit over this time because obviously he was across all of it and because he is a brilliant agent and a brilliant human being, uh, clocked it on the phone. He says, I'm worried about you. He said, you don't sound great. And I think we need to get you to see someone. We'll get the company sorted out. The company brought in a GP, had a chat with him. GP had counsellors attached to the surgery. And so went and, and spoke to a counsellor about it. Because as I said, that, that, that CCTV loop, if you like, was playing in my head nonstop, just on repeat. That counselling session was massively beneficial. It gave me the space to reconcile myself with what had gone on. Just talking it through, I actually been able to kind of console myself that at every point along the journey, I had been very vocal about safety. Angus received help from a counsellor. Connor's needs, obviously, were far more complex. And it became clear that his brain injury would have long-term effects. So the first two years are like a dream, you know. They were like, I was going to um, therapy in Headway, this amazing brain injury charity in Dublin. And I was like, you know, figuring out, okay, like, who was I and who do I want to be? And then after two years, when nothing kind of changed and things kind of plateaued, still had double vision, speech difficulties, still had like emotional things that I couldn't really control, still had um, balance, like loads and loads of things. And when time went on and, and it just went on and on and, and nothing got better, that's when it started to get like, this is horrible. I don't like this, you know. It was a traumatic enough time for everyone. Like. Connor and his wife, Zara, had been together since they were teenagers. And Zara and Connor's parents were by his side as he went through all of this. I didn't realise the trauma that they were going through looking at me you know maybe it's the same with any illness or whatever but certainly with the, the brain injury you become very 
I don't know if maybe selfish is the wrong word, but like you can, you don't have any room to think about anything else other than yourself. You know, just like absolutely unable to consider what other people might be feeling. I like, I was so, so angry. Things got dark for Connor for a few years as he struggled to come to terms with the change in his life. A lot of like self medicating with alcohol. You don't really want to sit with yourself, you know. I didn't anyway. I didn't want to be who I was, so it was easier to um, be drunk, basically, you know. It was, and, like, that went on for a few years until I realised, like, what I was doing and was like, this is, like, this is actually causing me way more problems than the brain injury is, you know. Connor's injury is invisible, but it means that his vision is damaged and just carrying out everyday tasks can be difficult for him. The most frustrating part, I find, and it happened today, is like cleaning up the mess that I make, you know? So like, you know, I'll like knock over some pasta and be like, oh damn, I've knocked over pasta. But then like, as happened today, I knocked over a jar full of garlic granules and that broke everywhere. I was like, this is a nightmare. What's going on with my life? But that's like a daily occurrence. Like that's, 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 but anyway, and so I don't get, I don't get super angry anymore. I used to get real angry, man. I used to get like, I used to break out in a sweat. My mouth was filled with spit. My blood pressure, but my nose would bleed. It was terrible. And then there's like lashing out at other people because like I feel bad, which is like so toxic and so like, you know, counterproductive and, um, and just being sad. I guess the anger comes from, like, the disconnect between who I am and who I was. And, like, I was stuck in the middle, going, like, looking back, going, but I want to be that guy. And, like, who I really am is, like, going, well, I'm sorry, buddy, but, like, you know, this is... And, in, like, in that space, the, the anger grows and the resentment to yourself grows and stuff, you know. You hate yourself. Right? You, you feel like you're not good enough. You know, you feel that... Like, if this is what my life is going to be, which it is, it is every day, I don't really want this life, you know. Luckily, I don't think like that anymore, and, you know, it's just a thing you have to go through. I think a lot of people go through, regardless of, like, whether you have an injury or whatever. I mean, like, everyone's a little bit disabled, you know. You know, I think it's, um, what's it called, uh, emotional cleanliness, you know. We don't have... Humans don't have very good emotional cleanliness. We tend to hold on to things a lot. Over the years after the accident, it was a long road to recovery. A legal case was settled in Connor's favour. There was no admission of liability on behalf of the theatre company. He's described this three-year process as being as traumatic as the injury itself because of how adversarial it was. In addition to the physical effects of the accident, Connor went on a more internal journey to find a way of making peace with how his life had changed. I did lots of therapy, that really helped. I did couples therapy with Zara through Headway and that really helped. Helped me understand the world from her point of view, you know. I realised I'm being so mean because I feel bad, not because like anything around me, every, anything in my external life is. I was expressing how bad I felt by making other people feel as bad as I felt, something like that, you know. I began to look at my life and try and make it, um, you know, enjoyable for myself or whatever, I don't know. It's like being born. That's what it's like. Like, if you survive, it's like being born. And you have to figure out who you are, what what your role is 
in this world, but like you don't have the luxury of being a baby, you know, like you have to pay the bills and you have to live and, and stuff while you're trying to figure that out, you know, and that can be really hard and really like, you know, you fight against it. Like, you know, you still want to go out with the lads or you still want to be the same person, but you know deep down that like you can't. The injuries have made it very difficult for Connor to work as an actor. However, he has returned to the stage and does manage to act from time to time. But his relationship to his dreams of being an actor changed. And these days he happily spends most of his time in Clare with his family. I wake up every morning with double vision. I know that if someone throws me a ball, I'm not going to catch it. I, you know, I have a constant reminder of what I can't do. So I see two of everything all the time. It's like, so I can't drive with it. Um, which is a bummer, especially because I live in the countryside. So, like, you know, swings around. But it's just, I live in a lovely house. I'm in a lovely area near my parents. It's great. I can't run across, like, rough ground because I've no depth perception. I can't tell where holes are. Everything looks flat, which is, like, kind of limits me for auditions where you have to say, oh, well, you know, I can't do a lot of things that you need me to. Like, they, people just are like, why would we cast this guy? He's like a, 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 an insurance liability at this point, you know? Connor and Zara had a baby three years ago and they lived just down the road from his parents The settlement Connor received for his injury allowed him to buy his and his parents' house Angus still lives in Dublin with his family and is a regular actor in Irish theatre We're all, you know, a decade older now and, you know, I'm, I'm delighted that all that stuff has happened for him because I think, from my perspective and I don't want to put words in his mouth but it's, it's not just the actual injuries that occurred, it's the what-ifs, it's the potential, it's what was coming down the road. Because as I said in this game, there are no guarantees, there are no sure things. You know, could he have been the next Colin Farrell? He absolutely could have been. Could he have got sick of the business and gone off to sell insurance or become an architect? Yeah, maybe as well, who knows? But from his perspective, the idea that the the chance to roll the dice was taken away. That's the tragic part for me, that we'll just, we'll never know. There's a line in Hamlet where he says, there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Meaning, our perception of our situation is what defines our experience of it. I don't want to make it sound like a, it's like my life is terrible because my life is great, but it's a, like a big part of it. <laughs> Being a bad thing is like a big part of my life, you know. Grief is like a strange thing. You like you grieve, but time kind of helps, you know. But like when you have a brain injury, you're grieving all the time. You never stop. I don't feel like angry about the accident. I think the accident is like things happen, you know. Life happens. Despite everything that happened when they played Laertes and Hamlet all those years ago. Angus and Connor are linked in the most unusual way. I think I'd have to characterise my relationship with Connor as remarkably good. His forgiveness of me, and I know I say it's not my fault, but it'd be very easy from his perspective to feel like it was. And from day one, his degree of kind of compassion and forgiveness has been nothing short of remarkable. His take on it, as always, has been, it could just as easily have been you, and you've mounts to feed at home, uh, was his take at the time. And I can't imagine being that magnanimous in, in such a, a difficult and trying situation. 
But it, it was a huge relief to me that he felt that way. And we've stayed in touch since. I've gone to see his shows. He's come to see my shows. I have nothing but love and respect for that man. Like, really cool, really, like a total rock when all of this has gone on and just a really, a really decent guy. I think everyone, anyone who knows him <laughs> knows the kind of man he is, you know? A really nice, really, um, just a beautiful, a beautiful human, like, really kind man. It's an odd relationship I have with Connor. We don't see each other hugely frequently. But when we do, there is a connection there that we kind of, you know, there was a bond forged through this awful tragedy. But he's just one of the good guys. Connor's story proves that life can change in an instant. For him, it was in Act 5, Scene 2 of Hamlet. Connor did get to play Hamlet again, in that same experimental version of the play that he had done when he was 23, called The Rehearsal, Playing the Dane. But this time, everything had changed. It was nerve-wracking, actually. You know, I was about to go on stage to do the same play, to say the same lines. I remember saying to one of the other actors, please be careful, <laughs> okay? Because, like, the last time I was here, bad things happened. This time, he would not be running around the stage, jumping on tables. I was wearing an eye patch. I lifted up the eye and I was, I was like, got stabbed just, on, just under my eye here. And like, but it, so the audience are like, nobody believed me. Like, no one, because it's such a mad story. This is a unique story. But it's a story that perhaps many of us can relate to in some way. Of having to start again at some stage in our lives. Having to redefine ourselves and our dreams and to embrace a new way of living, just as Connor did. It was also a catharsis, you know, there was like a moment afterwards in the hotel bar and Gavin, the director, was like, let's all cheers, you know, and it was kind of really nice to take that spectre off my back. <laughs> 